Today is Monday, January 9th, 2023. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. There's finally a Speaker of the House and a storybook game in Buffalo. We'll have those top stories and more on today's podcast. We're bringing news from a Christian perspective. Joining me, as always, to help get through that news of the cray, Billy Hallowell and Trey Gons Phillips. What's going on, fellas? Happy Monday. I'm excited. I'm caffeinated and contented as usual, and my cough is dissipating. I'm feeling better, so I'm excited. Yeah. Well, I've I've gained your cough. Your loss is my gain, apparently. So I have well, the head cold did, if it's not obvious. Why did everyone get sick while I was gone? What happened? Uh, we missed you so much, yes. Trey. Our bodies just couldn't handle it. Well, I'm happy to be back. Hopefully the coughs will be gone by Tuesday. Indeed. Indeed. Well, there is a lot going on, as always. It's good to have the triumvirate back. <laughs> together again after a Christmas break and New Year's break. But a lot going on, guys. What are you covering today? Well, we're going to be talking about this heartbreaking scene out in Portland, Oregon. A, a Christian church uh, torched to the ground, pretty much. Yes, we'll get into the details on that. Also, there was a storybook kind of game happening in Buffalo. We'll have the details on that. Uh, and on the main thing today, we're going to look at uh, human trafficking has been uh, on the rise. And it is Human Trafficking Awareness Month, so Madison Seals has the details on that, but first we're going to get through the news here in 90 seconds. And Representative Byron Donalds from Florida, he revealed over the weekend that he's being placed on the House Republican Steering Committee, and that was the deal that eventually got the Republicans a House Speaker, Kevin McCarthy. It took 15 rounds before McCarthy was finally approved by Republicans. A group of holdouts, including Donald's, wanted more say in getting Republicans assigned to important committee assignments. And so uh, Donald's appointment was a key in getting that done and eventually getting McCarthy to be the speaker. Satanic Temple is dedicating their largest satanic gathering in history to Democratic Boston Mayor Michelle Wu after the group wasn't allowed to deliver a satanic invocation. It's called SatanCon. 2023 and the theme is uh, Witches Night and it was a storybook moment for the Buffalo Bills on Sunday as Neam Himes returned the opening kickoff for a touchdown the first play since the Bills game was cancelled over DeMar Hamlin's terrifying injury and Hamlin uh, has been posting on social media it's been great to see including a picture of himself sitting up in bed with his parents so those are just some of today's top headlines. You can check out those stories and more over at CBNnews.com. And fellas, this was uh, an incredible game. Great to see Damar back. But Billy, I thought for sure that you would be interested in the Satanic Temple story, since you're usually on the Satanic Temple beat. Well, yeah, you know, these people are trolling everyone because, remember, they're atheists, actually. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, theologically, it's a really interesting conversation to have because it's like, yeah, they're walking around saying that they are they don't believe most of them in a literal Satan, but yet, you know, you can be used by Satan without realizing it sometimes. But, yeah, th- these things are just so silly to me that they're they're just pushing are for they, such recognition. Are they just doing it to make a point like that people are going to complain that that this is not allowed? And so they're kind of trying to show like, oh, this is how religion shouldn't mix with government, that sort of thing. Yeah, I think that's a big part of what they do and why they do it. And if you look at their legal battles, that that tends to be um, pretty evident. in there. Yeah. What do you guys think of that? I mean, what am I even asking you guys this? You guys don't like sports. <laughs> 
But well, uh, I pay Trey, attention you, enough to be dangerous. I yes, do. Trey. I don't know if you were keeping up to tabs on things or just out on the slopes and uh, Christmasing it up out there. But uh, I mean, the Demar <laughs> Hamlin thing kind of captured yeah, the that nation's attention. Wild. Yeah, seeing that game, uh, it was incredible to watch the Bills come out with. I mean, the kickoffs now are rarely returned for touchdown. Just the way the games played, and the way they changed where they kick it off from. So for him to return it back on the first kick was really really remarkable but it's great to see demar getting better yeah i just think the way that the that so many people rallied around him right i think was so encouraging and to see all the prayers that were sent his way yes uh, i think all of that was really as someone who doesn't care about sports all of that stuff was what was really cool to see unfold yeah and i saw uh yesterday um uh booger mcfarland from espn he um had a great comment about um looking back and saying because the players in some of the games including the Jaguars game were on bended knee praying before the game and you know we always pray before the miracles happen before uh, we have a need and we're asking for divine intervention but so often we end up being like one of the nine lepers who don't come back and praise Jesus for healing us and so he actually said you know it's been great to see what God has done this week and so I thought that it's been remarkable to see prayer take center stage in all of this. Yeah, there was one report. It was in an AP report, a quote, and I'm forgetting who it was, but they said it was like it looked more like the 700 yes. Club than it did yes. you know, ESPN. Yeah, indeed. Uh, yeah, fantastic to see. A but, nice CBN plug there, right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> but uh, but uh, I mean, it, but uh, honestly, it's uh, accurate because yeah. you, you're seeing like Dan Orlovsky actual praying happening, not just a generic thoughts and prayers. So. Um, very interesting to see how God moves in that situation and great to see so many people of faith um, in the midst of these national headlines. So, all right, we're going to head into our next story here. And Billy, <laughs> a historic church, as you mentioned at the top there, was burned to the ground in Portland. So what, what's going on there? Yeah, it's a pretty heartbreaking scene out in Portland, Oregon. This Christian church, which had been vacant for about almost a decade, it's kind of a complicated history of this church, it was burned so badly last Tuesday that it needs to be torn down. And on Friday, they began the process of tearing this church down. Um, This is a fire that broke out around 5.30 p.m. Tuesday. It was formerly the Portland Korean Church. This is a 118-year-old building, so it has historic roots. It's not just some random new building not that that would you know diminish what happened but there's a real history to this church and again it's been vacant since around 2015 um, and the interesting thing there was another fire in 2020 inside this church not a lot of information on that fire but they reportedly didn't determine the cause of that fire in 2020 and it left a lot of the building really in disrepair um, and so you know th- it hadn't even recovered from that and now there's this new fire uh, that was set Tuesday this was it was a three alarm fire it took 12 fire engines six ladder trucks four battalion chiefs and almost 80 rescue personnel to come in and put the flames out on this it really just a sad scene yeah and so do we are they suspecting anyone and do they know anything or have any suspect in mind This is where the story takes a very bizarre turn. Yes, they have detained 27-year-old Cameron David Storer. Now, what's interesting about this individual, um, allegedly this person went in on the day after. So this happened on the 3rd, the fire. On the 4th, he apparently went into the authorities and admitted to this and said he wanted Mm -hmm. to take credit for it. Um, But... (laughs) 
again, this is a biological male going by a female name, allegedly, when he was arrested. Nicolette Fate is the name he's going by. So there's lots of speculation. Some outlets are calling him transgender, uh, but Portland said they cannot confirm uh, that this person identifies as transgender. They went into this whole explanation. It's just an interesting detail in the case because people are obviously looking um, for a motive. But in a press release, uh, the county district attorney's office said, quote, Storer stated that they heard voices in their head saying they would mutilate if they did not burn the church down and that they had planned it up to one day in advance. And so you could hear the pronouns there um, are all yeah. over the map sort of. But but the point is this person apparently has a history allegedly of schizophrenia, um, was was purportedly taking drugs due to a past injury. And I, you know, some reports are saying this person was homeless and experiencing that. Uh, but they heard these voices in their head, in his head, apparently, that made him think this is something he allegedly needed to do. Yeah, man, this is really sad. I mean, a lot of times these stories boil down to it's either just plain old insanity um, or there's somebody with an actual motive and axe to grind because of some political reason or um, some ideological reason. So, well, you know, a lot going on here. But why, why do you think this story matters? Yeah, there's two re there's two reasons why the story matters. This is a church that was built in 1905, right? There's a huge history here to this building and to the city of Portland. I think it speaks to the broader issues that might be happening in Portland as well, right? With homelessness and some of these yeah. other issues with with transient people. Um, but beyond that, we're in an era right now in the post row era. And again, we don't know the real motives outside of some of these strange claims of voices in his head and all of that. Uh, but but an era where churches are being attacked, pro-life organizations are being attacked. And even though this was an inactive church, to see this historic church building that meant so much to the community be burned to the ground, uh, I think it's especially troubling in light of where we are culturally. Yeah. And I mean, Portland, you're right. I mean, a troubled area. I mean, this is the area that um, if my memory serves me correct during the whole summer of BLM related riots and burning down cities they were the ones that their police department just yielded and allowed people to just take over the uh city for a while large part of the city so uh, a very upside down situation here um in portland so definitely need to be uh, praying for them over there but billy thanks appreciate you bringing that story today on the podcast well as i mentioned at the top president biden took a quick trip to the border and is back but it brings um to light the story about human trafficking. We know how much, how many people are really are getting across the border. And that goes hand in hand with human trafficking. And January is Human Trafficking Awareness Month. Well, CBN's Madison Seals sat down with Kristen Price um, about this topic and how her organization is fighting back against the demand that drives exploitation of all sorts. That's today's main thing. January is National Human Trafficking Awareness Month, which was established to educate people about the signs and symptoms of those being trafficked or those doing the trafficking to put an end to this modern-day slavery in the U.S. and around the world. The U.S. Department of Defense defines human trafficking as a crime in which force, fraud, or coercion is used to compel a person to perform labor, services, or commercial sex. And it affects all populations, adults, children, men, and women. 4.5 million people worldwide are victims of forced sexual exploitation. And in the U.S., one in six endangered runaways are likely to become sex trafficking victims. 
and 20% of victims are children. Here to discuss what needs to be done to combat sexual exploitation and stop trafficking in its tracks, Kristen Price, Senior Legal Counsel for the National Center on Sexual Exploitation. Kristen, thanks for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. You've been working on this issue of trafficking and sexual exploitation since you were introduced to it in college. Can you tell me about what you learned then and what trafficking looks like in the U.S. now? When I was in college and encountered this issue, it was really through a book. I read a book called Terrify No More, which was written by IJM and detailed some of their work in Cambodia. I really had no awareness of the issue before reading that book, and that led me to other reading other study, and I discovered, particularly through the work of Shared Hope International, that this is very much still an issue in the U.S., primarily affecting uh, children and youth who are trafficked in the sex industry. And how much does the internet play a role in this? Because technology has advanced so much, really, just in the last decade or so. How much does what we see online and social media and communication online play into this? It plays a huge role in sex trafficking specifically, uh, just to take the example, the obvious example is pornography. Under federal law, sex trafficking occurs if there's, as you mentioned, forced fraud or coercion, or if a person is underage and there's a commercial sex act of any kind. So that could be in a strip club, that can be prostitution, but it obviously applies to online exploitation as well and would include pornography, including webcamming, which is when someone is enacting live pornography for subscribers. So quite a lot of the industry has moved online and it has resulted in people being exploited without ever leaving their homes. Right, and I wanna get back to the point of pornography later on because that does play such a big role in the sex trafficking industry. But one example of the modern day sex trade is a lawsuit in Nevada that you're actually working on. So just broadly, how did that case come to light? Yes, yeah, so the genesis of that case really in a sense is Nevada's own system. Nevada is the only state in the US that permits legal prostitution. It does not contrary to popular belief, allow prostitution in Vegas and Reno, although of course it happens anyway, uh, but it explicitly prevents prostitution in the rural counties in legal brothels. And our clients in the case were trafficked each in a different aspect of the legal industry in that state. So one client was trafficked in a legal brothel, one was trafficked in a legal strip club, and one was trafficked through a legal escort agency, which is a common euphemism for a type of prostitution operation. And so our case is against the actual trafficking businesses, but it's also against the state of Nevada and the government entities there on the theory that by enabling and facilitating and profiting from this industry, they're violating the 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, which was ratified in order to make slavery completely illegal and has been interpreted to include things that governments have failed to do or ways in which they have signaled to to private parties, private enslavers, that their conduct isn't going to face any kind of sanction. So that's the theory behind that case. And I think it's worth mentioning that in Nevada, in the brothel system, because a lot of times people will try to make 
this argument, well, if you regulate it and contain it, you, you can prevent the trafficking. And it's the regulated entities in Nevada that are the traffickers. So the brothels operate on a system of debt bondage where they charge the women for rent and for uh, for food and for things like medical exams and transportation that will often exceed what money the women make, assuming they don't have an external pimp who's taking all of it, in the brothels, keeping them in a state of debt. They're locked inside. They have to get permission to leave um, and often can't leave for two weeks at a time. And this is just happening completely openly. It's not underground. It's not some shadowy criminal thing. It's happening in the open with official sanction. And uh, it's also worth noting, I think, that prosecutions of sex trafficking, specifically in Nevada, are actually pretty low compared to other U.S. jurisdictions, given the presence of the sex industry there. That's a really interesting point, that the regulated industries are the ones really perpetuating this, because the sex trade has become a multi-billion dollar industry, bringing in something around $99 billion per year worldwide. But trafficking is just part of the broader issue of sexual exploitation that your organization fights against, which prostitution, child sexual abuse, and pornography all have a role in. This is such a massive industry, but you say that the way to put a stop to it is actually deceptively simple. So how are you and your organization working to bring a stop to all of this? The key to stopping this is to ending the demand. Uh, no buyers, no business. This is this is exists because it is profitable for some people. And it is profitable for those people because there are other people, mostly men, we're willing to consume other human beings, whether that's through buying someone outright in prostitution or um, going to strip clubs or especially consuming pornography, which is extremely widespread. And so the way to stop this is to make it not profitable and it will stop being profitable when the demand is, is addressed. In terms of addressing the demand, because you're not necessarily always gonna know in the moment, you're not gonna be able to tell from any video that's uploaded to Pornhub or any person you encounter in a strip club who's being trafficked and who's not. It's necessary for there to be accountability for all forms of sex buying regardless because the percentage of people who've been coerced in some way or defrauded to be there, you know, let alone forced or, or being underage, is high enough to merit addressing sex buying as a whole. Obviously, if, if, if someone is sex buying a trafficked individual, that's a sex trafficking violation. But even if that's not the case, it's still um, an incredibly exploitive thing to do. It, it gives incentives for people who are traffickers uh, to continue selling people in prostitution. And it can be deterred really in a variety of ways. I mean, one would be prosecuting people for, vi for violating the law because Prostitution is illegal everywhere except for those few counties in, in Nevada. Another thing would be for people who, for men who are sex buyers, to be required to attend classes that explain the trauma and the harm inherent in prostitution, obviously exacerbated in situations of sex trafficking so that they know what they're contributing to. Um, but I will say that with a qualification uh, there was a study that came out involving especially German sex buyers, where a lot of them seem actually quite aware 
of what they're doing. They, they name it pretty clearly. They're aware that a lot of the women that they buy are trafficked. And they said the thing that would really deter them was jail time and basically facing criminal accountability. So it sounds like a lot of the work that needs to be done is really on the front end legislatively. But in the case that there are examples of human trafficking or sexual exploitation, who can people contact if they suspect human trafficking or exploitation of any sort? So if someone suspects a case of trafficking, whether it's sex trafficking or labor trafficking, they can call the National Human Trafficking Hotline, which is 1-888-373-7888. Or they can text 233-733, which is the phrase, be free to make a report to the hotline. Well, Kristen, thank you so much for the work that you do to prevent this and hopefully put an end to exploitation and trafficking once and for all. But we appreciate you raising awareness about this, especially this month. Thank you so much, Madison. All right, Madison, thanks so much for that story. And that leaves us with time here for one last thing. Yeah, we're going to look at Matthew 5, verses 44 and 45. It says, But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends his rain on the just and the unjust alike. I think it's so easy to kind of, especially we, we live in our silos now, right? It's easy to kind of just stay with your people and your crowd. Uh, but it's so important to to pray for those you disagree with. But the context of this verse is even further than that, right? It's those who persecute you uh, for your faith. We know it's going to happen, uh, but we're called to pray for those enemies all the more rather than, than, than resting in anger. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. And, uh, and that whole section in Matthew five there is just, it's so convicting because Jesus is turning uh, on its head, everything, you know, that, that, that the Pharisees and everybody thought they knew about the law you know, including yeah. just like adultery. And it's it's more than that. It's just looking lustfully at somebody or hatred. If you have hatred in your brother's eye, you've committed murder. So um, all of these things, the standards, it just shows how how um, serious is God, God is about our hearts. Yeah. And just knowing that human nature is to get people back. You know, we all feel that when somebody's rude to us or mean to us, or we're not going to be kind to them later on. And this idea that, you know, you've got to, you've got to love and serve and clothe and feed your enemies is so counter-cultural and counter-human nature. Indeed. Indeed it is. So convicting message for us all there from scripture. And that's a good spot to leave it here on this Monday. Hopefully y'all had a fantastic weekend and uh, we appreciate you being here with us early. And um, hopefully, hopefully our voices return in full tomorrow. We'll see. But uh, Lord willing, in that creek don't rise, we will be back here tomorrow with more. We'll see you then. God bless.